open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at the disciplines of grace of commandment 3 tonight. We're going to be bouncing through to quite a few passages, so everybody lick your fingers. Get, well, if you've been shaking hands, don't lick your fingers, but otherwise get ready. We're going to be looking at quite a few passages as we go through these passages tonight. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. <clears throat> you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we think about this, do not take his name in vain, and your version of the Bible may say misuse that name. But the meaning you should not misuse the name of God. Our culture today so fails with this commandment. And you think about our, and I'm not talking about just cussing. I'm talking about just misusing the name of God. And in fact, today people don't even see a problem with misusing God's name. Even worse, Christians don't have a problem with it. I was reading some statistics and I didn't write them down and I'm, I'm not, I didn't bring them out to you. But there's some different um, organizations that look at how many cuss words are in a movie. And I'm sure they do it for everything, but this one thing I was reading about a movie. And they were, they were tracking them in one of the movies, I can't remember the name of it, every 32 seconds was a cuss word. And, and, and the thing is, but here's what it was getting to. It was a Christian publisher, but they went into that they didn't even really count the misuses of God's name as a vulgar name, as a vulgar word. Isn't that crazy? And they would look at all these words that are bad. I thought about saying them, but I'm not going to, okay? We'll just say blankety blank, okay? And so the blankety blanks they look at, but then they did not think of God, the misuse of God's name as a blankety blank. That's, that's kind of creative the way I did that. I'm proud of myself. Anyway, but we're going to see if we properly understand and observe this commandment, our lives will be open to further to see the streams of his grace. To comprehend what is required, we, we have to not misuse the name of God. We must understand what name is, and we must understand misuse. Name is the description of, or character or the description of character. And we're talking about the name would be the character of God. The character of the Lord your God, the Bible says. Jehovah your God. Jehovah or Yahweh is God's name used in the Old Testament. It is the redemptive name of the God who chose his people and delivered them from bondage. It is the covenant name of the God who keeps his promises to his people. Jehovah is a name of relationships, the God who established a relationship of faithfulness and obedience, the God of mutual relationships of love that he has for his children, even the nation of Israel. Jehovah is a precious name. Look over in Leviticus chapter 23. We'll flip over to a few different passages. Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27. Here they're coming in with the laws and the feasts. We look at verse 26. It says, and the Lord spoke. Well, I'll wait for you to get there. Leviticus 23, verse 26 is where we'll start. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also the 10th day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy day. 
convocation for you. You shall, af- you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. His name was so held so sacred that it was only announced only once a year by the priest when giving the blessing of the great day of atonement. So this name was so great they would only say it one time a year. Now think about that. The reverence they had for that name. Israel came to value the name so much that when the scribes copied the manuscripts, and the scribes would be the ones that write down all the things that the Pharisees and Sadducees would say and the religious leaders. When it came to the name Jehovah, they would stop ceremonially ceremonially bathe all over and then go back to the scroll with an unused pen. Jehovah was the awesome personal covenant promise-keeping name of God, and it must not be misused. And as I, as I think about that, and I think about even in my life, how so many times we're going to look in here, how we misuse the name of God. The King James Version, or even the New King James, would say not to take the name in vain. This is the idea of misuse. It means unreal, empty, frivolous, insincere. Meaning that you must not use the name of your God who is utterly faithful in promise-keeping, insincerely or in an empty way. Insincerely or in an empty way. Sorry, I couldn't get that out. Our culture today has so misused God's name. And here are some of the ways. First, as it's in your thing, is with oaths. With oaths. Oaths. O-A-T-H-S. Oaths. Not oats. That's what we eat. Oaths. Okay. The primary application of this commandment was then swearing an oath of a promise. When a believer swore by God that such and such was true or made a promise by God's name to do something, these promises, if we're making them in God's name, must never be broken. Breaking one of these promises was a flagrant misuse of God's name. But interestingly, in the Old Testament, oaths in God's name was encouraged. So look over in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy, we're going to look at some different passages really quick about this. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we'll look in verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. It says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. I thought we're not supposed to do those things. So let's look over and look back and look in the, towards your back. Jeremiah chapter 12. Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. It's way in the back. We'll look in verse 16. Jeremiah 12, 16. Jeremiah speaking here, it says, If they shall be... If they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. Swearing in his name was a sign of spiritual vitality even. They swore by the name of Baal. Now he's saying you're going to swear by my name. The Old Testament oaths were assumed to be part of a committed life many times. Once made, they were not to be broken under any circumstances. Now look back in Leviticus chapter 19. So flip back over to Leviticus chapter 19. 
is we're going to look at some of these that God established. Leviticus chapter 19, and we'll look in verse 12. Leviticus 19, 12. Then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that may go and be away. That is not the passage I'm looking for, and I have no idea where it's at. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 23. I don't know where. It's somewhere in Leviticus. We'll find it later. Deuteronomy chapter 23. I started going there. I thought maybe the next one's what I meant, but I missed it. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Oh, I was in Deuteronomy. Hang on a second. We'll go back to, good Lord. Deuteronomy 23. First, then we're going to Leviticus. Deuteronomy 23, 21. Did y'all know, did it make sense in Leviticus? Was I reading it right? Y'all have no idea. Is anybody out there? I was in, I was in the wrong place. I know I was. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says that I know I read it earlier and it made sense, but this time it didn't. When you make a vow to the Lord, we're on it now, your God, you shall not delay to pay it for the Lord, your God was surely required of you. It would be sin to you and it would be sin to you. So now flip back to Leviticus, Leviticus 19, not Deuteronomy 19, Leviticus 19. And then we'll look in verse 12. This looks so much better. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Look over in Numbers chapter 30. Vic is Numbers chapter 30. In verse 2. Numbers 30 verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If we looked at these three passages, God's teaching is crystal clear what he thinks about an oath. You make an oath to God. What it's saying is you make a, you make a vow, you make a promise, you make an oath to God. I'm going to do something. You do it. And we know that by the time the New Testament came around, the traditional biblical teaching regarding vows had come under amazing abuse. Some rabbis had begun to teach that an oath was not binding if it omitted God's name or did not imply it. It also said that it took a downward spiral, that word oath for your, you'd make it of your life, by my beard, by my dog, by my cat, by my wife, whatever. They begin to make all these outside of God, and therefore they were not binding. Only those that had to go as far as towards God. Evasive swearing became a fine art. You are telling the truth if you thought a person or object, if you brought a person or object into the oath. So I could say, like one rabbi taught, That if one swore by Jerusalem, one was not bound. But if one swore toward Jerusalem, it was binding. 
and I guess it's because it made it divine going towards Jerusalem. And so it became like children. Remember as children, and if you have them, they do it. Remember that? Crosses count. I'd cross my fingers. So really, I was kind of lying. And that is true. That's what they were doing. And so they were really good at swearing something, <coughs> knowing they were not planning on keeping it. If it got hard, they were not bound to it anymore. Christ understood this, and he addresses it in Matthew chapter 5. So look over in Matthew chapter 5. See what the Lord has to say about this. He knew what was going on. He understood their hearts. In Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 33 as you turn there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem. Remember we talked about what the rabbis had said. For it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So what Jesus is saying here, he's going, I want not that you make the oath, but as a Christian, we shouldn't have to make an oath. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And the reason he says is because Oath-taking was popular, and it's popular today because we're liars. Let's just be honest. We're liars. I'm a liar. You're a liar. Don't get offended. (laughs) We're liars. Okay? And we would take these oaths because we're liars. And you think about it. We know someone that says, I mean it. Swear to God. As God is my witness, we'd better watch out. Because what this is saying about them is their yes is not yes and their no is not no. They're saying this because normally they're not telling the truth. And so we go, well, can we take a public oath? We'll look in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Let's see what God's word says. Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. Jesus in a court setting here. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So here comes this oath. I have this oath under the, by the living God in a court setting. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the power and coming of the clouds of heaven, and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he's saying here, he answered this, Jesus did. He replied to the living oath that they said of God. Let's see what Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You may go, why are you spending a lot of time on these oaths? It's primarily what it was talking about in this passage. But also there's a lot of false teaching about this. 
as far as keeping of oaths. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Paul says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Look over in Romans. Flip back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we'll look in verse 9. Paul's pretty much saying in these, I'm telling you the truth. Romans 1, 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with him with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul's saying he's telling the truth. And Paul would have never said these things, that God is my witness, that I'm telling the truth, if he thought such a practice was wrong. He wouldn't have done that. And so we think about this. We're going to touch base with this just a little bit later. So how does this translate to our lives today? First, oath-taking is permitted in civil life, a courtroom, as we just kind of saw with Christ. It's also with religious oaths. Marriage, we have a baby dedication here every two years. Parents make that prayer, that dedication. And these are never to be broken. And what we do is we begin to take these oaths, these vows in the name of the Lord, even in our marriage, even in our civil life sometimes in court, but we're going to stick with the religious, the marriage, and maybe the children that we pray over. And we make this vow to the Lord that we're going to raise them and to know the Lord, is, you know, or raise them up, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But yet when we make those, then we turn around and go, eh, it was nothing. <clears throat> and that's what the passage is talking about. The commandment is primarily talking about. We make these commitments and we make these vows, not only to God, but to each other. And even in a wedding, let's say the oath was not there. And if a Christian, my yes is yes and my no is no. And I sit there and I go, okay. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do this because I love you. And then we don't. What have we just done? Our yes is not yes and our no is not no. And we find ourselves in life doing that more and more and more. You see, these are never to be broken. That is the key. Next we have, how does this look like? Next is irreverence. Irreverence. So we had oaths. We have irreverence. This would be using how we misuse the Lord's name, be using slang words. Sometimes we can say the man upstairs or whatever. And we use those, and that is when we use the name of Jesus or God in a disrespectful way. When we say, oh God, or God, can't believe, or Jesus, can't believe that happened or whatever. We minimize his character or his name. When we curse with his name, when we have a disrespect for God, and we can find ourselves with some of the things we say or the, some of the things we do, we have an irreverence for God. We have a disrespect for God. And that is misusing his name, as it was just speaking of. Next is contempt. <clears throat> contempt. This is even worse than irreverence. It's when God is beneath us or unworthy. We lower him to that he is a mere man or even worse. When we even jest, thanks for nothing, God, what are we saying about God? 
when we even in malice, what kind of God are you? I've been praying for you and nothing's happened. What kind of God are you? And we begin to misuse his name, even in this aspect of contempt. Then next would be cursing. Using his name to curse others. Cursing. To damn someone in God's name is a monstrous misuse of God's name. Look over in Romans, we're there, Romans chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Romans 3, 13 and 14. Romans 3, 13 and 14. It says, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asper vipers is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So when you have this cursing and bitterness, your mouth is a poison. It destroys and it comes out. And we think about today it is common to attach damn to God's name. Christians have lowered their mindset of who God is so that we are not even bothered when God's name is misused. That's true in my life. And it's also probably true in yours. If we knew, now, I want to ask you, if, if you're packing, keep your hands up when I get ready to say what I'm going to say. You ready? If we knew that there was going to be a movie who was going to misuse President Trump's name, you would never go. But yet we will sit there and watch movies that miss you the Lord's name over and over and recommend it to people. If we were to be standing somewhere and someone was to misuse our spouses or our kids or better yet our grandkids name, we wouldn't stand for it. But we sit there and we listen to people misuse God's name and we even laugh with them. And we don't think anything about it. And I think about that and it saddens me. That we've lowered who God is. And you may go, well, sometimes I don't know if they say that. Well, if, if that was the case and it happened, do we get up and walk out? Do we look and research enough ahead of time to know? My wife and I try. We don't take anybody's recommendation for a movie or a show. And now it's getting that bad on television. Now, we, and again, bear with me. I'm not trying to chastise. I'm just speaking truth for Christians in general, okay? And we should get upset for homosexuality, transgender, all of these things. And we get despised and upset and angry when we see that stuff in movies. We protect our kids from that. All of these things. And we should. But then we sit there and accept the misuse of God's name. And it never affects us. So what are we sending messages to our kids? What are we sending messages to them? We'll get to that in just a moment. But I'm just saying we have, we're misusing God's name. We're not holding it in reverence, in holiness, who he is and what he does. So what does this do to God? What does this do to God? 
Our misuses of God's name cannot ultimately hurt God. Puny man cannot harm the transcendent God. But there is a sense that God allows us to grieve him and even anger him. He allows that to happen. The creator who sent his son for us, who called us to be his children, who delivered us from the bondage of sin, who has given us eternal life. And when we truly stop and think about that, we should never misuse that name. Then when we go to Jesus Christ, who came and died, took our sin upon himself, all of these things, and then if we truly understand who they are, we would never, ever misuse their name or support the misusing of their name. And it's an outrage and it's a slap at God to abuse his name. And the horrific thing is that we misuse these names and we don't even really understand. We've been so desensitized to who God is that we don't even realize what is taking place. What does this do to us? What does this do to us? It affects the way we perceive God. When we stop and think about these things, it minimizes who we think he is. The way we speak about someone determines what we think of them. If I always tell Lisa how much I love her, and again, I can say it and not live up to it. I'm not talking about that. But if I'm constantly telling her how great she is, I'm always telling her how wonderful she is. I'm always telling her I love her and all those things. Most times, more than likely, my life is going to show that and I'm going to do it. Now, if I'm putting her down, if I'm talking down to her, if I'm not ever telling her those things, my perception of her is going to change and I'm not going to do the things to show her I love her. And this is true with our life. The same is true when we think of God continually in who we think he is and not who he is. We begin to look at him that way. We begin to serve him that way. We begin to love him that way. And it's important that we begin to know and thank him and praise him for what he's done for us in our personal life. So with us, when we, when we misuse the name of God, when we're around people who misuse the name of God... It lowers who we think God is, and it begins to show in the way we live for him, the way we serve him, the way we worship him. What does this do to others? It affects the way they see God. At home, kids hear the misuses of God, and they will think differently of God. And what happens is we try to protect them from all these other things, And then we never protect them from the misuse of God's name. And so then they begin to go through life and they have this misunderstanding of this holy, righteous God. Because they've listened so much to the misuse of it. And sometimes in homes that the parents come to church three times a week. And these kids begin to hear over and over these misuses of the Lord's name and misuses of God that they begin not to think very highly of God. We know they hear it in the media. We hear it at work. They hear it on television. They hear it in all these other areas of life. And so it begins to diminish who they think God is. The same is true for our coworkers, the people we work with. We can can minimize who God is by the way we live our life. So what's the proper use of God's name? 
What's the proper use of God's name? Well, if we look at this verse, and it says, Do not take the Lord your God in vain, the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's the opposite of that? Would be to lift up his name. So we do the opposite, and, we, and when we understand grace, when we understand the grace of God, we understand mercy that's in this, it makes us want to lift his name up. We must tr- but we must truly know who God is to be able to lift his name. That's like with me. I cannot truly lift up the name of Lisa and praise and tell people about her and how wonderful she is and all that unless I know her. When I know her or my children, I can praise. And if you look on Facebook, these kids are being praised all over the place. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I can't praise those kids. I don't know them that well. But the ones who know them can praise them. That I know my wife, I can praise her. I know my kids. You may know your grandkids. You can praise about them. You know them. And we can't truly praise God unless we know him. And what happens to me times, it's a fictitious praise because we truly don't know who we're praising. And we've allowed the misuse of our life or of who he is to come into our lives that we truly don't know who we're praising. So we have to truly know who he is. If we could truly see God's holiness, it would change everything. Look over in Matthew chapter 6 is a great example of this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You may already know what you're turning to. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It's the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9. Matthew 6, 9, Christ speaking here. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord modeling the prayer here. Hallowed be thy name. How holy it is, how worthy it is of prayer that we're going to lift up your name. Your children, he's praying here, your children, hallowed be thy name. Lift you, praise you, you're worthy. And let the whole universe declare you're holy. The whole universe does that. And we as individuals need to recognize that our Father in heaven, hallowed is his name. And that we lift it up, we praise it, but we have to know who that name is. We have to have an understanding of that. So we make every effort in reference to his name, in personal reference. In your personal life, lift up his name. Get to know him in his word. That you know him, you can praise him, you can lift him up because you have this personal relationship with him. It is, he is your father. And I think about this in in a relationship of father-child My daughter and I or my son and I cannot have proper relationship unless we know each other. And we look at our society today, and you can look at the news and all that, and you can hear people talk, even politicians, preachers, or whatever. What's wrong with our world today is that there is no relationship. These kids have no what kind of figure in their life. Father. We hear it all the time. The problem is we're not talking about an earthly father It should be a heavenly father that's not in their life. But also, our world recognizes 
The influence of a father in a child's life is very important. But the influence of our heavenly father, and the reason is, it's not that they have a father. They have a father, these children. But they don't know the father. And the father's not an active part of their life. And so in a personal reverence, I have this relationship with God. I know God. He's involved in my life. He's the one leading me, guiding me. And because of that in my personal life, I will not misuse the name of God because I have this relationship with him that I so desire. Next is a domestic reverence. We have a personal reverence. reverence. Now it's domestic reverence. This would be in our home with our spouses and our children that we're training them and together with your spouse or with your children that we have a reverence for God, that we lift him up. He's holy, he's righteous, and we recognize all he's done in our life and in our homes, in our marriages, we are not going to misuse the name of God. Then we go into public reverence. Public reverence. When we are in public, we will be reverent. I was talking about this about even the movies. The things we listen to, the things we watch, the places we go to, all of those things. This public reverence that I'm going to have, that I'm going to lift his name when I'm in public. When I'm going to do that, even if it's at work, I can lift up the name of the Lord in my day-to-day activities. But when I'm out in public, if I see the Lord's name being misused... I will walk away. I'm not going to allow it to influence my life. And then the last is with a corporate reverence when we come to church. And I think churches today, and it's not by how loud the music is, has nothing to do with that. But when we come to church, And it's not based upon if you can do a backflip in the worship service. It's not that either. Because I can't. That would be comical. But here's what it is. That it's a genuine when I come. It's a genuine worshiping together. That we are never going to misuse the name of God. We're going to worship him because he's holy. He deserves our praise. We're going to praise him because he's righteous. And we're going to do this in our life. And it's going to be genuine as we go through this. And we come together to do it. We come together to serve one another. We come together to lift up his name in the corporate We do it in the public when we're out in public. We do it in our homes. And we do it on our personal lives. But too many Christians today are, are failing. And we are misusing the name of God. And we are not holding this commandment true to our heart. And we're falling. Because too many times we can say, well, I never put damn with his name, so I'm doing good. I'm not using it in vain. No. We misuse it so many times. And we do not have a reverence for who he is. Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I pray, Lord, I ask you to forgive us. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of the times that I have misused your name. Lord, that I have not lifted you up. Lord, that I have allowed maybe even the world to influence and misuse your name and it not even affect me. Lord, I pray that you will be with me. I pray that you'd be with us as a church, as us as individuals, Lord, that we would lift your name. We would get to know you in such a way.
that we hold you worthy. We hold you in holiness and reverence that we know who you are. And Lord, we recognize all that you've done for us. And Lord, we would never misuse your name. Lord, I pray in our homes that we would so recognize what you've done for us, the blessings of a spouse, the blessings of our children. Lord, that we would never misuse your name. Lord, when we go out in public, we would not allow ourselves to be around those who misuse your name. And then, Lord, when we come together to worship, Lord, that we would so do so because we have these brothers and sisters in Christ, your children, who come to recognize who you are. And because of that, we want to lift your name high. We want to serve one another. We want to love one another. We want to love those that come in that they can see that we have a reverence for you that they've never seen before. And Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for saving us, Lord, and giving us your word. And Lord, I thank you for this commandment that we can recognize your grace and you can convict us of the times we misuse your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.